The horizon is wide and the highway is calling. That means it's time for another episode of American Road Trip Talk. I'm your host, Gary Mance, with a welcome and an invitation to travel the byways and back roads of yesteryear, searching for America in every incomparable mile. Welcome once again, ladies and gentlemen. Glad to have you along for the ride. Eric Ryder is our producer. He'll make sure that we stay in our lane. And I am joined today by my good friend, Ken Ulrich, who is a Pontiac aficionado. He has stories from way back in his GTO days. That's going to come up for review today because we're talking about Pontiac and car clubs that are dedicated to the sacred memory of that particular stylish and performance heavy line of General Motors. I'd like to quote something. This is from a man named David Conwell. He says it so beautifully, I wanted to quote him. David Conwell writes, it's hard to believe the Pontiac brand has been gone for more than a decade now. Its offerings from the earliest 1926s and Oakland's going back to 1907 to the last 2010s were always something distinct within the GM hierarchy, and they still feel fresh and special. That's the quality we're talking about today. Passion for Pontiac persists. We'll be talking to Carl Petri, and this man knows his way around a Pontiac and a lot of other cars besides. We're going to benefit from his expertise, and Kenny's going to jump in on the questioning as well. All things Pontiac today on American Road Trip Talk. We'll be back with the interview right after this. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I want to bring attention to a life-saving product called Alert Drops. Drowsy driving is one of the most catastrophic problems in America, and alert drops will stop it. Kids studying in college, drinking too much caffeine, overloading on these energy drinks, they end up in the hospital. Alert drops will stop it. What is alert drops? Alert drops is a simple spray on the tongue made out of citric acid, sour lemon, and water, co-created with my uncle, Dr. Henry Heimlich, creator of the Heimlich Maneuver, who said, Anson, alert drops will save more lives than the maneuver. Whether you are driving whether you're studying, whether you're just a tired mom, whenever you need to be alert, get alert drops. A simple spray on the tongue, nothing in your system, and you're naturally awake, naturally alert. It's scientifically proven. It's doctor approved. Again, it's natural. It's been honored by the United States Congress. Go to alertdrops.com. Very important. Go to alertdrops.com and stay safe. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to American Road Trip Talk. We are speaking now with Carl Petri as well as Ken Ulrich, all things Pontiac, as long as time will allow. Carl, welcome to the show. And uh, thank you very much. It's great to be on. And I'm happy we made room in the uh, jump seat for our buddy Ken Ulrich here. (laughs) Ken, I'm so happy that you could join us. You're going to be one of the interlocutors during this brief (laughs) broadcast today. Before we get to Carl, and there's so much for him to tell, uh, Kenny, what is it about Pontiacs that really does it for you? You have a bit of a history with that make. Yes, I do. Uh, back in high school days, I managed to get my hands on a couple GTOs. And uh, I worked at a parts store actually at that time too. So basically, I just worked and lived for my GTO and turned every penny and dime into it to work on it and, and uh, broke a few hearts along the way, raced a few people and was undefeated in my racing uh, history. So, so far, so good. Well, good on you. And Carl <laughs> Petri, does that not sound like an all-American story to you? <laughs> it certainly does. 
And I wanted to mention too, in terms of your bona fides, there you are well connected with, I assume that you're a member, maybe I shouldn't presume that, but you're certainly well known among the passionate members of the Pontiac Oakland Club International, which recently had their 49th convention in Connecticut. And I think the 50th is coming up next year in Oklahoma. Oklahoma, right. This is quite the big deal. Vroom, vroom. Tell us about this organization and about why there is so much passion over a decade after the end of Pontiac's production, why people love it so. Um, it's a matter of the heart. I mean, they just love their cars. Um, GTOs. I mean, you never saw so many GTOs when you go to one of these events. And uh, the old Pontiacs and some of the actually at the, uh, the last convention, I believe they had one or two 1926 Pontiacs there on display. Um, it's, um, it's amazing how the people just love their cars. Now, as for me personally, um, I'm an antiquarian by default because <laughs> everything I love is either discontinued or obsolete. I mean, my daily car is a Mercury. You know, so uh, that's the kind of person I am. I just love these old things. And when we talk about Pontiac, we all have our experiences. I heard a great story just now from Ken Ulrich. And I must tell you, gentlemen, that my only I have two Pontiac stories and I will I will speak them very quickly. But I, I need to be shored up in my confidence that we are talking about a brilliant brand here. Why is that? Because I guess as luck would have it, my family owned a 1964 Pontiac Star Chief. Mm. And it was the flashiest, sportiest car that we ever owned. And we were a family of four. And all of a sudden, well, look at us riding around in the Star Chief. The only problem was electrics. There was some electrical problem with this particular car. And it spent, some days we said it spent as much time in the mechanics garage as in our garage. I don't know what that was about, but I thought, wow, this beautiful looking car. It was sleek, man. I loved it. It just didn't run very well. And it seemed to have to do with the uh, electrical system. Second thing, the wonderful Fiero. And that, that strikes me as something that represents an experimental phase at trying to get an angle on a market to create a car like the Fiero. And some people to whom I rented an apartment had a Fiero. Wow, were they proud of their red Fiero. And they were on TV with it one day. I was watching the news. I go, oh, my God, they're my neighbors. And their Fiero, which was on fire at the time, <laughs> an engine fire. And my neighbors are there on the side of the road being interviewed about what happened here. And so I'm thinking, well, you know, it, it, it didn't give me that image of Pontiac that I wanted, but I love the idea of style and performance. And you couldn't have 49 conventions of Pontiac freaks, and I say that with love, but these enthusiasts, if it didn't have a wonderful, stylish, and performance-related tradition within that GM hierarchy. Does it seem right. that way to you, Carl? Absolutely. Uh, when you go to a convention, it's, uh, it's the ultimate Pontiac event. You know, everyone has their Pontiac badges on. The older ones have the Indian head. Uh, later on, you see the ones with the, like the V, uh, that logo. Uh, everywhere you go, just Pontiac people. And when they get together, they're talking about their cars, what they did to it, what they're going to do to it. Uh, but they rarely talk about the cost of what it costs them to, let's say, chrome plate all those bumpers and uh, uh, a lot of the little 
little pieces of uh, the chrome, like the grill and everything. But other than that, I mean, they just love their cars. Now, I belong to the Garden State uh, Pontiac chapter. And uh, Garden State is New Jersey. All right. And we have an event coming up on October 3rd. Only Pontiacs, Oakland's or GMC trucks uh, are allowed to participate. And uh, that's going to be in uh, Clifton, New Jersey on October 3rd. And you will be there. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> of uh, course you will. Uh, it, it's wonderful that you have this kind of passion. You know, the way I look at life, if you have any one thing about which you can be so enthusiastic, so passionate, you're a very fortunate person because a lot of people lack a sense of purpose. They want to attach themselves. And many of those folks are aptly described as antiquarians. I have a touch <laughs> of that myself. I can appreciate that point of view. Right. Can you tell us a little bit, and then I want to get Kenny in here because he's got a question or two, but I did want to ask you, Carl, what was the significance, and I take it that he loomed very large and his length and shadow lasted for decades. What can you tell us about Bunky Knudsen, who was given a big job at GM, and it seems that he wanted to make the most of it, him and his MIT degree in engineering? Well, Pontiac always had a, um, a reputation of being an old man's car. Uh, if you look at the early Pontiacs, uh, they had on the hood these um, like stripes or like it's uh, stainless steel um, uh, covers that go over the the, uh, the hood, which people used to call them suspenders because they're for old men. And uh, uh, Newtson wanted to change that same with, jo uh, with DeLorean and he wanted to make it a youthful car. And the people at Pontiac were kicking and screaming and did not want it. Uh, they wanted to just maintain the old, uh, the old style, you know, for adult, you know, for the uh, more mature people. That's what they wanted. But thanks to Newtson and DeLorean, you know, it started off with the GTL, which, by the way, they called it the uh, Tempest Le Mans GTO. When it first came out, that's what they called it. And you mentioned a name that uh, evokes images of glamour and uh, disdain at the same time. No judgment here, and God rest his soul. But tell us about the influence of Mr. DeLorean there, because, yes, he loomed large, and then he had his own idea. But how did Mr. DeLorean factor into the growth of Pontiac into a recognizable brand within General Motors? Well, DeLorean uh, was a very youth-minded man. He wanted to have, you know, Pontiac have these um, cars that young people would want. And his idea was to put a big engine in a small car, uh, which, of course, the, the upper echelon of Pontiac were kicking and screaming. They did not want it. But uh, thanks to DeLorean, he took a car or two and he put the 389s in them and uh, took it on the street, drove it around. And they found out how wonderful it was and what a great car and how people like it and how much they like the car. And uh, that's that's where DeLorean put his, you know, that's how we got to start, you know, with, with Pontiac. And that is the late, great John DeLorean we're talking about. Yes, John DeLorean. A visionary and a glamorous man, too. Kenny, in terms of Pontiac, your own enthusiasm for it, the GTO itself, is there anything you would like to ask Carl? Uh, I find it, uh, you know, from I heard about like DeLorean, like you're saying, you know, kind of 
went against GM's thinking about it, but uh, I, I, I heard stories that, uh, that how he sort of had to sneak the cars some hot, I mean, how can you do that back then sneak a car around and customize it under the corporate heading in eyesight and, and then roll it out the back door and it becomes a smash hit. Well, don't forget a lot of people that were working at Pontiac loved the idea. Oh, uh, they were in a job where they were just making these, I'm going to use the term old man's cars. <laughs> and they wanted something youthful. There were young people working at Pontiac and they wanted to change that image. And uh, thanks to John DeLorean, you know, coming up with this idea, they're the ones that will work on weekends or Sundays when nobody's around uh, to uh, just put that engine in and which they did. And it worked. And when it comes to old man's cars, let, let's get this out on the table here, Carl. Their old man's car and GM line to me always meant Buick. We had a family friend and he was more family than friend, really. We were quite close. <laughs> About every three years, he'd roll into our driveway for Sunday dinner with a brand new Buick. Always with the Buicks. He was yep. absolutely devoted there. And I admired that, even if I didn't share uh, the same taste in style it kind of seemed like an old man's car though this gentleman wasn't all that old but an old man's car so it could be a pontiac it could be a buick what is it carl when you get down to the essence of it you go to these club meetings you're i'm certain that you're very well received and you have a lot of expertise what is it that bonds people about Pontiac in particular? There's got, I, get, I get the impression that when you talk with uh, Sam, Susie, Charlie, Bill, you can say a thing and use three or four letters as an acronym, and they're not only going to know what you're talking about, they're going to have some insight into the mechanics or the style of the thing. Oh, sure. Uh, well, Buick had the nail head engine. Um, if you're familiar with that, where the uh, the valves are sort of like, I got to put it on the V portion of the catalog of the uh, Buick, the valves are like straight up, and it, it was, I think, it was a tire design, but it was tried and true. People liked it, and it ran. Uh, it did its job, but there wasn't much you could do with it. It just it was what it was. Uh, but when it came to Pontiac, you were able to modify it easier, uh, get more performance out of it. And so if you were into Pontiac, even as an old man's car, you could do more with it than you could, with, say, a Buick. Now, I own a 1955 Pontiac. Uh, it's been in my family since 1955. My aunt, uh, Eleanor, bought the car new, just under $3,000, uh, two-door chieftain. And... Uh, when she, she had it from 1955 to 1979, when she gave me the car and I got the car, restored it. And, uh, you know, so that's my, that's my show car right now because it really brings home my youth because when I was a small, very small child, uh, like when my uncle got married, my aunt took eight millimeter films of the wedding. And you could see me as a very small guy, being helped into the backseat of that 55 Pontiac, which I own now. You are an antiquarian. See, <laughs> a guy with a heart. I get it. I really do. I remember the uh, affection because it seemed kind of snazzy. And if I'm way off base here, please correct me. But our neighbor across the street, he had something that, that looked rather like a snazzy gunboat. I think it was a Pontiac Bonneville, probably from the mid-1960s. Did that not have a push-button ignition? 
No, not to my knowledge. Not was, that one. It was some no. car he had where he was pushing a button and it wasn't the cigarette lighter. And I remember going, wow, that's that's very forward looking, <laughs> you know, and just seeing that. So it wasn't that particular model. That's OK. That leads me to ask you if uh, Messrs. Knudsen and uh, DeLorean were involved with this. Was there some thinking at that high corporate level that they could distinguish themselves favorably from not only Chevrolet within GM, but the the ever pesky Ford brand with that long running competition. It seems that the the visionaries at Pontiac decided we've got to make this a marriage of style and performance in order to carve out a decent share of the market. Well, what happened is when the uh, 64 GTO came out and the sales went through the roof, Pontiac never saw anything like that before. And they saw the excitement that the GTO was causing, uh, all of a sudden the doors start to open. Uh, the upper echelon of Pontiac, they started to look at everything a little bit different now because now younger people were buying the car and they were buying a lot of them. Uh, so Pontiac made, I mean, the, the Pontiac executives made the big change and they decided to assist Pontiac to make it even better because it all comes down to the dollar. And they were making money. And that's the bottom line. It was making it. money. It, it had that panache in the marketplace. Absolutely. And that would have been a big challenge for GM because Buick, I've always associated with more mature drivers. In right. fact, their ad campaign several years ago, they tried to dislodge people from that opinion that if you owned a Buick, you were square. And so, and then Pontiac comes up with the Fiero and they also i remember the pontiac vibe this is like they downsized the model of what they thought would be appropriate to people who could be or were already loyal to pontiac i always looked at that they're rather the same way that i look at the ford thunderbird well which one are you talking about right you're talking about that that beautiful uh, blue one with suzanne uh, summers, summers there in american graffiti or are you talking about the the larger one with the elliptical taillights that i thought was just the bee's knees when i would see that as i was on a bus following one of them on the way to parochial school something about style as well as performance the people in the club So if we're talking about the Pontiac Oakland Club International, P-O-C-I, it's a big deal. They're going to have their 50th convention next year. Right. What? How do you folks as a group calibrate style and performance in a way that balances the two so uniquely as to make you buy Pontiacs again and again? Well, you know, it was a different time. Uh, We don't have that anymore. Um, People who are now designing cars. I call them toasters um, because they all look alike. Uh, there's not car people who are building the cars anymore. They're accountants. Uh, they want a car that will last you know, many years uh, using the same interchangeable parts. Uh, they're all computerized, but there's no style. You look at the uh, early Pontiacs and they're, be- they're a work of art on wheels. They're beautiful. Now, take a look at a modern car. They all look alike. I mean, you look at a Toyota, you look at Chevrolet, you know, look at them all. They're they're the same. So car people are not building cars anymore. There's not that passion. Uh, The older Pontiacs, uh, there is that passion because they love their cars. They love the style. They like the way it runs. 
Um, but you don't see that passion with, with younger people now. There's no passion there. For example, when I was um, younger, I used to go to the New York car show. Uh, I think you said at, at the Coliseum. And I couldn't wait to get there. And when you get there, they would have, for example, a Pontiac GTO on a turntable. And they would have four gorgeous miniskirt women dancing around the GTO. And this wild music was playing. And the people there were just drooling at the car and at the girls. They loved it because <laughs> they were true. thinking to themselves, if I bought a GTO tomorrow, Monday morning, when I go to my Pontiac dealer and buy it, I'm going to buy one of these sexy cars. And when I drive it home, before you know, there'll be women dancing around my car. <laughs> because there was that passion at, at car shows. And, uh, and I was one of them. I used to look at those cars and say, wow, great. And then you take a short walk over to Cadillac where a woman would be dressed in a gown, an evening gown. And she was just like wave her arms towards the car and say, this is, we're going to the opera tonight and this is the car we're using. So if you were successful, if your wife was wearing a gown, you're running around with a Cadillac. If you're a young guy and you want to impress the chicks, you buy that GTO or the or the uh, Roadrunner or the, the Barracuda. You know, it was a fun time because cars were were great. Uh, you had a great time at the uh, Coliseum. It was wonderful. Take this word from me right now. Go to a car show in New York. They have it at the Javits Center. Make sure you bring a bottle of no-dos with you. <laughs> these cars are boring uh, they, all they do is tell you about the electronics in it. Uh, they tell you, you know, what gadgets they have, the cameras they have, and this and that. But it's boring. I know, as I mentioned before, yes, they all do look alike. But because they all look alike, there's nothing, there's no pizzazz anymore. Now, um, I sent you a, a photograph of my Pontiac that was at the last show. Right. And and I have a um, a beautiful mannequin standing next to it. I found the sexiest mannequin I could find. I dressed her up in the sexiest clothes I could find and I have her leaning against my Pontiac. Well, the wildness of people they come out and they see this mannequin next to my car, they're taking pictures of it because it's it's the car it's the woman next to the car, and they're snapping away. Uh, at this one car show, which was a air, uh, air and a car show, they, they were flying airplanes and everything, an air show. I brought a friend along with me, and he says, I don't believe what I'm seeing. He says, I lost count over 200 people taking videos and pictures next to your car. And my car wasn't the best car there, but... It had that pizzazz. It has the sexiness of an old car and all brought out by this beautiful mannequin. So you were serving up Pontiac a go-go. Pontiac-tion. That's what I call it. <laughs> Pontiac-tion. Even better. Well, you see, Carl, the difference there. Now you talk about uh, the young, younger people, the, the uh, new warriors who are making cars today. 
maybe there's not a, a lot of visionary enthusiasm there, but you take those same people and you send them to an Apple convention, you'll hear some foot stomping excitement in that hall. You got that you, right. It's what you put your attention on, I think. Right. And if you talk to a younger person, when they're going to buy a car, nothing ever comes up, but it's a nice styled car. It looks really good. I mean, it's nothing like that. It's not sexy. It's, oh, it's a nice car. It has this feature and that feature, meaning something to do with the computers. And I look at them and I walk away. Just what could I possibly say to these people? You know, it's putting wheels on my laptop. That's what it comes down to. (laughs) In our remaining time, Carl, what would you like to say to and about the POCI folks? Uh, Some of them are listening and God bless them for that. Next year in Oklahoma, such an organization, it seems like it's it's set to continue thriving. Yes. Uh, For the people who are listening, if you do own a Pontiac, even if you don't own the car, you become a member of the Pontiac Oakland Clubs International. And you'll be linked in with all different types of people with their Pontiacs, and you'll hear their stories. And if you have one, they'll help you maintain it to make it look good. And it's a great organization, and there's a lot of local chapters within the states. So um, you I have a I website. Uh, just go to just go to POCI, Google it. Just Google po- uh, Pontiac Oakland Clubs International or POCI, I call it POCI. And they have and the state the chapters, the national convention, national, state, uh, every ch- now see the Oklahoma chapter is running the nationals this year. Last year, it was the Connecticut chapter who ran the nationals. And prior to that was Gettysburg. Uh, the Pennsylvania chapter ran that. So each chapter has an opportunity to run the national convention. Just Google P-O-C-I. You'll love where it takes you and bring your own mannequin. Thank you, Carl <laughs> Petri. Always a delight to talk to you, sir. Thank you, Ken Ulrich, for being with us Thanks today. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning into American Road Trip Talk, along with Thomas and Becky Rep, co-founders of American Road Magazine. We remind you to visit our website, AmericanRoadMagazine.com, to preview the current issue. Until next time, dream well and drive safely on the American Road. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure.